Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I'm joined by another very special guest for Texas OU Week. Um, we haven't gotten together for a while uh, it's been since our Mavericks podcast, but he's uh, he's one of my favorite all-time guests, and he's always a good time. It's Will Kane. He's a host of Fox and Friends on the weekend, and he's also the host of the Will Kane podcast on, on Fox News Podcasts. And you can find that podcast everywhere, uh, Apple, Spotify, you name it, it's out there. Uh, Will, how's it going? What's up, Matt? It's going well. Well, Will, as I said, it's been a long time uh, since we've gotten together, uh, back, back from your uh, ESPN days, and um i miss talking sports with you it's it's always fun um how how's the new gig going how are you liking it over there i like it i do miss sports but i'll tell you my passion for the cowboys the longhorns the mavericks the rangers if they ever gave me anything to be passionate about it doesn't wane and so on the will kane podcast i have an outlet where i get to talk about sports three times a week and i think it's important to talk about you know, not so much politics, but culture and issues that are facing this country, because I just think our country is at a very, very pivotal moment in history. But I also think sports represents this place where we need to let the steam off, need to let the pressure off and, and come together despite all these divisions that we have and still, you know, root or bust each other's balls about whatever team it is that you root for. Yeah, and, and the good thing about, about you and I is uh, we're sort of cut from the same cloth when it comes to sports. Uh, both raised in North Texas, both raised Texas fans, both raised Cowboys and Mavs and Rangers fans. So uh, we've got a lot in common in that regard. So, uh, well, why don't we just kind of jump right into it? I know you're excited about this week. Um, Texas OU is always one of the biggest weeks in college football. Um, even when the teams aren't very good, people still seem to watch the games. But this this year, we're pretty fortunate. Uh, Texas seems to be back on the right track under Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, Oklahoma is still Oklahoma, although they've been struggling a little bit. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, well, first, first thing I'd like to get from you is just your impressions on because uh, we haven't talked about this since since it happened. 
Um, what are your impressions on Sark so far and in, in the kind of the direction he's taken the program? I feel really confident that Coach Sark is the guy to take Texas to the place where we all expect the Longhorns to be. I, um, I'm excited about what I see in the offense. You know, he is doing some of the same things that he did at Alabama, which is to say, okay, I have this special talent. I have this strength. I have this player. Let me gear the offense around getting the ball to that player. Obviously, Bijan is the not just best player on the Longhorns, but in my estimation, he's a Heisman candidate. He's already – I mean, I don't know if you can name three players in college football better than Bijan Robinson right now. And so, look, we watched him against TCU get the ball 35 times, and that was the right answer. I mean, Bijan beat TCU, and Sark designed an offense and put the pressure on his shoulders. But even earlier in the season, we saw – games where Jordan Whittington, who was a five-star recruit, was the guy breaking out. And I think it was a little bit more Hudson Card at that time, but they were just feeding the ball to Jordan Whittington in a lot of the same ways that we saw Sark do with Devontae Smith. I've got a special talent, and I'm not saying Whittington is Devontae Smith, but I've got a special talent, at least on the field of play right now, and I'm going to make sure he impacts the game. That guy, by the way, has become until last weekend, Xavier Worthy as well. So it just, it all, there's more motion. Everything about it makes more sense for a modern 2021, you know, college football offense. But also, Matt, I will tell you, I think it's the kind of offense that is going to really be a great selling point to recruits. They're going to see that because they are all going to envision themselves as I'm the next Devontae Smith. You know, I'm the next B. John Robinson. And if I have a coach and an offense that's going to feed me the ball and highlight me, that's where I want to be. So I'm hoping not only is what Sark has done, and I'm really only talking about offense right now, something that, you know, leads to wins in the short term, but ultimately also leads to guys like Arch Manning saying, I'm going to be part of that. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Arch Manning in this podcast, but I would like to get your take on that, actually, now that you bring it up. Um, I don't think we've ever seen anything like the hype surrounding Arch Manning in, in college football. Um like there's been big recruits, there's been Trevor Lawrence, there's been Justin Fields, there's been others, but this is special because of the name and whoever lands Arch Manning, I mean, their recruiting is just going to take off and skyrocket into another level. Um, everybody always follows a quarterback, but when you're following a probably $10 million NIL deal quarterback, who's got the name recognition and the talent and everything that comes with it, um, that's something that can sort of set your program apart. What, what do you think? Um, have you got like, have you gotten a chance to watch Arch? Do you know, do you know much about him other than, um, you know, the kind of the, the basics that we all know, like, yeah, he's a hell of a player and he's, you know, he's got a big name, but like, have you gotten a chance to check him out at all? Okay. I've got a couple of different thoughts on this. So I love what you're saying about, you know, Arch is so important in, in so many different ways, but, but first of all, when it comes to his quarterback play, no, I haven't like dove into Arch Manning film. I've seen some highlights here and there. I've read most of everything there is to read about it. I know he's like physically growing very fast right now. I mean, he's emerging into like a six, four. I don't know how heavy he is quarterback right now, but I'm just going to assume that the hype is real. And, and yeah, his last name has a lot to do with that, but here's the thing. Let's say Arch doesn't come to Texas. I think Texas is okay at quarterback as far as what's going to happen on the field. And we can talk more about this in a minute, but I have come to become a real believer in Hudson Card 
you know, I, I, I may have the unpopular position that I think Hudson Carter is the best quarterback on the, NF, on the um, Longhorns roster right now. And if Hudson doesn't leave, he has four, at least three, depending on what happens with this red shirt thing, years of starting quarterback and, and Arch is two away, but let's say Hudson red shirts, right. And Casey has another year starting Casey Thompson starts again next year. Hudson cards are starting quarterback well into what would be your Arch Manning years. And I just think Hudson's going to be really good. I really do. Now would Arch be better? I mean, all recruiting services and all that say, say that he will. And he's a type of quarterback that starts as a freshman and, and all that kind of thing. But I just, my, I think my point is whether or not the Longhorns get Hudson, I mean, Arch Manning, I think they're okay at quarterback if Hudson card stays, but for recruiting, that's a whole different story. So I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but I have a nephew who is one of the top recruits in the nation for 2023, the same year that uh, is Arch Manning. He's an offensive line recruit and he's, he's out of Odessa Permian and he's an absolute, my nephew's an absolute stud. I, I know that because college football coaches have called me and, and I will just tell you this, having known and, and be a little bit part of that world, um, Arch's decision is something that everyone is watching. I'm not telling you that, you know, for example, my nephew's going to follow Arch wherever he goes. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm just saying that that 2023 class is watching the decision that is made by Arch Manning. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Hudson card because. Um, okay. So we broke the story that Hudson card was going to be the starter um, over Casey Thompson in the season opener. And we got a lot of blowback. Um, people were upset, you know, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's not as good as Casey. Casey did this. Casey did that. And it, you know, maybe it turns out they were right just for this season, but the amount of talent that Hudson card has, I don't think it's very comparable. I think Casey Thompson's more of the gamer and yeah, he's a talented kid, but Hudson card, um, I think has a certain skill set that it's very hard to find. It's, I don't want to say the name Aaron Rodgers because that's hallowed ground, basically. You know what I mean? But he's, he has that same type of uh, skill set in the sense that he can move, he can throw on the run, he's athletic, he can escape, but he's also got a cannon of an arm. It's almost like he's almost like uh, Colt McCoy would have been with a big arm, in my opinion. He's that kind of – I think he has the potential to be that kind of special talent. And the reason I – I'm going this direction kind of right now is because you mentioned uh, the stuff about, you know, which one's more talented archer or, or whatever, but it's, it kind of, if that, so let's say arch goes to Texas. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to start over Hudson card either. If, if he comes to Texas, I mean, we've, we've seen it time and time again at Texas. It's uh, you know, Colt McCoy beat Jevin Snead, uh, major Applewhite beat out Chris Sims eventually. Um, Sam Ellinger beat out Shane Boucher. I mean, it, there's always a quarterback battle, and it's not always the guy that you expect to win that battle. Um, and I think Hudson, you know, maybe he was a little overwhelmed. I mean, it was his first college road game and probably, I mean, one of the most hostile environments he's ever going to see in Arkansas. I mean, they, they hate Texas more than they like themselves. So it's uh, – I'm excited to see what his future brings. I really hope he doesn't leave. Um but let, let's let's jump into another topic here, real quick, on Texas. And hey, real quick, can I can I just build on that Hudson card for a second? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So look, I, I guess you know 
what I have to say about this, it seemed to be unpopular on Twitter. And I actually had a buddy of mine come over who played at the University of Texas and said it's one of the dumbest things I've ever said, which I'm used to hearing that from friends and, <laughs> and from social media. But I tweeted during the game, during the TCU game, that I thought Hudson Card should rotate in. I didn't mean 50-50. I meant that I think Hudson Card should be getting some series in the third and fourth quarter. And, and by the way, that's what the caveat that they're not going to redshirt him. If they redshirt him and he's down with that, that's a whole different, uh, you know, calculus. But I was super impressed, Matt, with Hudson Card, you know, at, at the beginning of the season. Like, I had Justin Wells of Inside Texas on my podcast, and he made the same comparison you just made. He compared Hudson to Aaron Rodgers. Now, I just think almost when you do that, you turn people off because they're saying, oh, man, get out of here. That's impossible. But I will say in the first, you know, the first couple of games, Hudson dropped back, quickly made his reads, and fired a bullet just on a rope to the open receiver into pretty tight windows on several occasions. And I was just, I was like, that's a, that's a, like you said, that's a special talent. And one that, like, if that's what he's doing in his first game or two, imagine who he's going to be in game 10. And I just, I really do believe, I'm a little surprised that he got yanked. And I'm also surprised that everybody, I was in the minority on this, like, I don't think he played great against Arkansas. I mean, okay, I, I would go so far as say he played below average against Arkansas. But his offensive line was awful, awful against Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas bullied the, the Longhorns on the offensive and defensive lines in an embarrassing fashion. And Hudson had no time. Did he still have a couple of opportunities to hit some deep passes that he missed? Yes, absolutely. And I think at that point he was rattled by the crowd, by – by the by the way his offensive line was getting manhandled but I think Casey's a gamer that's the word that you used and there's clearly something intangible going on where the locker room likes Casey and he brings some kind of confidence to the team but I just think if you had ridden Hudson out and maybe you would have taken some L's along the way and that would have been bad but by the end of the year or maybe by mid-season you'd be talking about a top level quarterback in college football and I also have a suspicion we're not done hearing from Hudson Card this season. Again, with the redshirt caveat. I have a feeling if he's not redshirted at some point this season, the conversation over who is the Longhorns quarterback isn't over yet for 2021. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, look, Casey, he had great games against uh, Rice. He had great games against a great game against Texas Tech. But he struggled against TCU. And I'm not, you know, we're not sitting here trying to start a quarterback controversy or anything like that. But, I mean, he hasn't – TCU is the first real starting, you know, opportunity that he had in a hostile environment. And now he has to go next week and face Oklahoma. And that's a whole other animal. I mean, it's – he the jury is still out on Casey Thompson in that sense. I know he had those great games, but it's – there's still a long way for him to go. He's got to go to Oklahoma, face Oklahoma and Dallas. He's got to take on Oklahoma State. He's got to take on uh, Iowa State in Ames. And all those are going to be really hard games, and that's not even getting to the end of the season. So um, he's still hey, has a long a way to go. Here's a question for you. If you're Arch Manning and you're watching this, which way do you feel like is better for you and your decision? So, in other words, if Casey wins the job, you know, you're Arch Manning, Casey would be gone by the time you're – you're a freshman, right? And so you'd say, I have a clear opportunity to, to win the job as a freshman. 
Or do you look at it and go, well, but if Sark develops Hudson Card in the way, and Hudson Card becomes this big-time quarterback, maybe even an NFL-level quarterback, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't caveat that. Like, success for Sarkeesian is Hudson Card becoming a first-round quarterback. Honestly, that's what needs to happen. And then if that happens, does Arch look at that progress and that development and go, oh, I could be in that same pipeline? I wonder which is the bigger enticement for Arch Manning. I think it's probably that Hudson Card becomes a first-round pick because – you know, Sark has done that everywhere he's gone with quarterbacks. Um, you know, he did it at USC. He did it at Washington with Jake Locker. He did it at Alabama with all those guys, obviously. So, um, look, if he does it at Texas, that means things are going the direction that they want them to go. That means they're playing for championships. That means that they're, uh, at that point, playing for SEC championships, right? Yeah, so possibly. A, and I think we're going to probably touch on that in a minute because I, I really do want to get your take on that but um it, if 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 arch if arch sees sark continue like to uh to pump out another first round quarterback and to get this team where a lot of people have been saying for years that, that they're never going to get back to i think that's kind of the final straw i think that that's the because i know i know he's seriously considering texas and georgia um, those seem to be the top two right now, but there's obviously others in the race. But if, if you can get, um, if you can get Hudson card, a high school, a guy who played wide receiver in high school before he moved to quarterback and then turn that guy into a first round pick. I mean, what more do you need to know if you're arch? I mean, that's just the guy for you, right? Yeah. 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 You're pr- yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, all right, so let's kind of transition, and we'll we'll get to Texas and OU in here in a minute. Um, but I do I we I, I can't believe it's been this long since we talked. But uh, I, I still don't know what your opinions are on Texas and uh, Oklahoma moving to the SEC. What's your What's your old take on that thing? I, I mean, I, I'm tempted to say I love it, but I love it because it's inevitable. Like, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm older than you, um, and I grew up in a in, I grew up really before big 12 days, I I grew up Southwest conference days. I'm talking about when I was a kid and I just remember going over to friends' houses and sort of like, Oh, this is a Texas tech house. Or even this was an Arkansas house because I grew up in North Texas like you. And back then it felt like it was Texas, Oklahoma and Arkansas and North Texas, quite honestly, like who people rooted for. Um, But you know, there was this like fraternity of mutual hatred with the Southwest conference. And then it bled over into the big 12 where everybody lived within the family and and maybe even in your own family, people chose to go to TCU or Baylor or A&M or Texas or whatever it may be. And Thanksgiving or even Saturdays were about like, you know, giving each other hell and laughing about who stunk or who was playing each other. And even though the level of competition was clearly lower than what we'll be entering with the SEC, there was something, I don't want to use the word quaint, but like regional in an endearing way about that. And I liked that. I still have family that are tech fans. You know, my wife is from Lubbock. I, I, I have a ton of family that's Baylor and, and TCU for that matter. And I don't want to leave those relationships. And, you know, I'm hesitant to call them rivalries because every team, teams that aren't even in the big 12 consider texas a rival you know but (laughs) but there's there there's um i met some nebraska people the other day and they still hated texas i was like really (laughs) we don't we don't don't even think about you (laughs) you know um but but I, i mean i i am a little sad to leave all of that behind but 
I do feel like it's inevitable. This is the progress. This is the progression of college football. And we're going to trade playing Texas Tech for rekindling that rivalry with Arkansas. We're going to trade Oklahoma State for rekindling that rivalry with A&M. And I think there's a burgeoning rivalry, like a pent-up rivalry with LSU that this never existed before, but, but could quickly catch fire. And so ultimately, I'm excited to play those games. Again, I mean, everybody says I'm a homer, Matt, but I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm usually proven right over the long term. I think Texas is going to be one of the top teams in the SEC. You know, I, I, I've made private bets with my friends and family, but like within what I say, I think I said three or five. I can't remember which year I gave myself. Three or five years of joining the SEC, Texas will win the SEC. I, I believe, look, I mean, Nick Saban is the problem, but, you know, you take Nick Saban out of the equation – I know Arkansas just whooped Texas, but um, I think Texas is just as competitive as LSU or Auburn or Florida or anybody else in the SEC. And I think that they're going to get some big time recruits and they're going to be one of the favorites in the SEC within three to five years of joining. Well, yeah. And you mentioned the key there and that's recruits. Um, Sark is not playing with his own players. Sark is playing with Tom Herman's players. And I think that, and you've already seen it. I mean, he's been in, in, um, in power for eight, months now almost nine months kind of halfway there and um or halfway to you know between eight and nine months somewhere in there and look he's already got one of the top recruiting classes in the nation people are gravitating towards him already so once he has a couple of years to get his players in there and, and if you look at the class it's a lot of defensive linemen so he knows mm -hmm. how to win in the sec he's been recruiting for the sec and there's still a lot, there's still a few really big time names out there that he's chasing. Um, look, I mean, it, once he gets his players in there, it's going to be a whole different story. And I think that the way that he got dominated at Arkansas, like we talked about, was up front, and that those are the things that he's recruiting because he knew that those things were were lacking when he got to Austin. And uh, I think that's really important. But yeah. But uh, okay, let's let's kind of transition to Texas OU because this is the the biggest week of the year for Texas these days, especially now that AM's over in the SEC. But that that's going to come back later. But let's talk Texas OU. Um, first of all, just give me your general impressions on Oklahoma. I don't know how much you've gotten a chance to watch them or not, but they've been struggling. And um, I had a I had a guest on my podcast mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, Aaron Hogan of One Four Nine The Horn, and and he talked a lot about. Uh, the trenches and how good Oklahoma is there. But what, what are your uh, general impressions on Oklahoma? Okay, so on the Will Kane podcast before the season kicked off, I actually picked Oklahoma not just to make the college football playoff, but to win the national championship. I thought this was the year. And I did that for two reasons. Number one, I thought this is the first year they've actually had a formidable defense. Now, since that time, they've given up a lot of points to the likes of, was it Tulane? Didn't they give a ton of points up to Tulane? Yeah. Tulane almost beat him. Yeah. And then the other reason that I picked Oklahoma is because they were one of the few teams I'm talking about Alabama, Clemson, one of the few Ohio state, one of the few regular college football playoff contenders to have an experienced quarterback. Now the weird thing is I watched Spencer Rattler, obviously against Texas last year, I was unimpressed and I know he got better as the, the season later in the season, he got better. But those two things that I have sort of made the difference makers for my preseason prediction of Oklahoma have failed. I mean, Spencer Rattler has not been great. His decision-making is suspect. Um, and the defense has given up points that the, again, the likes of 
of Tulane. So the, my pick for them to win the national championship is looking very, very suspect. And I think that they are also ripe. I'm, you know, I think Texas hasn't arrived yet. Texas is not like the full version of who they're ultimately going to be, but Texas is dangerous and Oklahoma is vulnerable. And so, you know, I know that Oklahoma is supposed to be good in the trenches and they have one of the top run defenses in the country, giving up something like 75 yards a game, but they haven't faced B. John Robinson. They haven't seen the likes of that, you know? So um, I think Texas is going to be able to move the ball and score points. I, I do. And then the question becomes, can our defense do anything to stop a quarterback? That is, I speak by the way, as a, we, you can see that our, we, you know, my, that, that's totally <laughs> fine with me. Um, but can, can the defense do anything to, to stop a quarterback that I think is not as good as everybody thought he was going to be? So I, I, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, because um, I've never been sold on Spencer Rattler. I've kind of been in the minority on that. Um, I watched him last year. I thought that the games that he played well in weren't always against the best competition. Uh, but he, he did get better as the year went on, and that's fine. But um, I do think that he's gotten a little bit of a bad rap this year because Oklahoma's offensive line has been so bad. Um, and it's all, but it's always bad also when your home fans are cheering for the true freshman to come in and booing you. Yeah. When, when yeah. you're, when, when you come into the season as a, as a Heisman candidate and you're a, you know, true sophomore or whatever he is. Um, but I really think that's a matchup that Texas can exploit is, is the Oklahoma offensive line. I think that they have – where Oklahoma has the, the better defensive line versus Texas's offensive line, I think the same holds true for the other side. I think Texas's defensive line is vastly superior to the Oklahoma offensive line. And I think if they can get pressure on Rattler, um, he's going to get rattled. Um, it's it, – I, I don't know if that's a pun or not. I didn't intend it if it was. But <laughs> – uh, <laughs> Well, the thing, the thing that's a little bit – the only thing that gives me reservation is going into this season, if you would have said what is the biggest strength outside of running back for the Longhorns, you would have said defensive line. Everybody coming out of like fall camp and all of that thought they're deep and they're strong. And, and I think we have to admit the Texas defensive line has been a disappointment. They also got pushed around by, by Arkansas. Yes, they did. And, and um, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it's Keande – Coburn, who's who's the disappointment in stopping the run? Um, I know there's a freshman, a freshman defensive tackle. His name's escaped me. Byron, um, Brian, what is his name? I forget. Who everybody's been excited about, but the bottom line is Texas's defensive line hasn't been the strength that we thought it was going to be. And so I'm a little nervous that we're vulnerable to the run in this game. This could be running backs on both sides going nuts. Uh, yeah, so Eric Gray is a very talented running back for, for Oklahoma, and they also have Kennedy Brooks, and uh, that, those are a couple of guys that you have to be worried about. I mean, they're not going to be uh, Zach Evans for TCU. They're not going to be Brees Hall, which they're going to face in, in, uh, in Ames in a couple weeks, but those are two very good running backs, and they have not shown – I mean, look what Arkansas did to them on the ground. So, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think that's a very good point. Um, but – there's so I, I asked Aaron Hogan this yesterday and I want to get your take on it too. And um, because I'm sort of, I don't think Bijan Robinson is getting the hype that he deserves, even though he's getting a lot. Uh, I think that he 
came into the season very underrated. He wasn't, I mean, he was kind of on the Heisman radar, but he wasn't really up there with the likes of Bryce Young, who hadn't even taken a college snap yet at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I want to know, since everybody's going to be watching this game, I actually have two questions on this, but the first one is, if since everybody's watching this game, if Bijan Robinson has another game like he did against TCU, where he has 30 carries for 200 yards and scores a couple touchdowns, maybe scores one on from Casey Thompson and Texas wins the game, or even if they don't win the game, even if he just shows out like that, is he the Heisman front runner? Yes. I, I said this earlier. I, I don't, I don't know that you can name two or three players right now who should be ahead of him. Bryce young at Alabama, JT Daniels at Georgia. Like where, who would you, and even if we name those guys, are they clearly ahead of Bijan Robinson? I don't think the answer is yes by any stretch of the imagination. Who is doing more, not single handedly, but to shoulder the burden of his team's wins or losses than Bijan Robinson right now? And if he does it on a national stage when more people are watching, then the answer has to become yes. I mean, the only, obviously, the only problem is it's just hard for a running back to win what has increasingly become a quarterback award. But it's, yeah, I, I, am I forgetting somebody, Matt? Like, I, I'm trying to think, you Iowa, know, Penn State, they don't have a player that's standing out ahead of Bijan Robinson. Um, be- before, uh, before last weekend, um, I would have said Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Um, and I, I still think he has a shot if he, you know, does well the rest of the season. But that Alabama game was tough. And he was kind of the clear front runner until that point. Now I think it's, wide open and I, I think that Bijan has a chance to really insert himself in there you know what's interesting about I said it's a quarterback award increasingly about that actually plays in Bijan's favor like Texas is probably not going to run the table right I mean, they may they, they they but Bijan's Heisman hopes won't be dinged for the team taking a loss in the same way that a quarterback is dinged for his team taking a loss so Matt Corral is dinged for getting that loss against Alabama if Texas loses to Oklahoma, but Bijan is still great, his Heisman hopes remain intact. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about Bijan is you are older than me, but you're, I don't think you're that much older. We, we grew up watching a lot of the same stuff. And, you know, I, I really started – the stuff that I go back remembering the most uh, or the earliest is, um, you know, Southwest Conference, John Makovic, uh, you know, first Big 12 championship. Uh, James Brown, Ricky Williams yeah. as a freshman. That's that's where I really got into Texas as a kid. Uh, my whole family went there, and you know it's it's always been a thing. But those are my earliest memories. Um, so I, I you know I don't go back as far as like my dad does, where he talks about Earl Campbell and Roosevelt Leaks and all those guys. But I've never seen anything like Bijan Robinson. I don't think. Uh, the only thing comparable I can think of in the last few years is Saquon Barkley, but I think he's got something different than Saquon. And I'm, tr- I've been trying and trying to figure out a comparison for Bijan and I can't do it. Do you have anything else for me? Like <laughs> dating back a little farther, maybe uh, some, someone I'm not thinking of. No, I don't know. Who do I, well, first let's do this. I was reading this morning, uh, like ranking the Texas running backs of all time. Where does, or not all time. This was a list like from the eighties forward. So Earl Campbell was left out of it. 
But this list had Bijan number two behind Ricky Williams. And if you think about it, you go five or six deep pretty impressively at Texas's history at running back. It went something like Ricky Williams one, Bijan two. Um, was it was it Jamal Charles three? And then Cedric Benson four. I may be forgetting somebody. Priest Holmes was in there at five or six. I think I'm yeah, forgetting. And Deontay Foreman. I mean, he was he has the most yards in a single season in Texas history, I think, or whatever yeah. his whatever his record was. But yeah, I mean, there's a ton. You know, I I, I don't know who you know. Bijan runs. He's big. He's bigger than you realize. And he, what is Bijan's height? I, I, he seems tall as a runner. Like when he's on the field, I don't know if he runs upright. So my, my brain gravitates a little bit more towards like a tall runner. Um, and I don't know who that would be. And I could be wrong because it's all perception in my head. He's not Eric Dickerson that upright, but um, you know, uh, who was I just thinking about? Oh, Edron James was kind of up tall. And I, 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 I like that one. Bijan is a little bit of a slasher, but also punisher. Like he's just, he's got it all in that way. Um running through tackles. That's the Saquon-esque, you know, strength to his game. I don't know who the perfect comp is. I don't know. But I just picture him in my mind kind of up, upright and slashing through the defense. And so that, that leads me to guys like James and Dickerson. But that's all – that's almost like an abstract painting in my head that's not, like, good analysis. <laughs> it's just, like, what I picture, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's – he's one thing is clear. He is – maybe the most unique talent that Texas has ever had at running back. I'm not saying he's going to be the best ever because you got to compete with a Heisman trophy winner. Um, or I guess a couple of them. And, uh, but he is definitely something oh, here's special one. here. Here's does this, how does this sound? What about Adrian Peterson? I mean, I, like I don't that. know. Stylistically, I'm just thinking stylistically, he kind of had that same, like, he was a little bit upright. And then when he decided to hit that hole, he just slashed through it, but he was also obviously very, very punishing and physical as well, which is Bijan as well. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm going to think about that one a lot. Yeah. Maybe he's uh, Adrian Peterson with better health. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> uh, fingers crossed, but look, it, one thing's clear. He's, he's an incredible player and I think he's capable of carrying Texas, um, wherever they want to go this year in terms of the regular season, I'm not going to give them college football playoff aspirations, but if they can kind of figure things out around him, um, specifically the offensive line, uh, more consistency from the pass catchers, I, I think that the, you know, the sky is really for the limit for them, really the limit for them in the regular season. Um, and before we move on to talk a couple more different things, I just, I, I got to get your prediction for the game on Saturday. Oh man, what's the line on this game? By the way, I haven't looked yet. Uh, Do you know, man, I, I haven't looked. If I'll, I'll look right now, actually, while you're uh, while you're talking. Um. Okay. What is my prediction for the game? Yeah, Lincoln Riley is a really good coach. We'll have that team ready to not be surprised by Sarkeesian. Um. I kind of, I kind of think Texas wins a close game here. I kind of think, you know less than a touchdown Texas victory. I just don't think Oklahoma's faced a test where they have. And, and again, my faith, if I'm, if I'm caveat this is in Lincoln Riley, not in Spencer Rattler, but like, I don't think Oklahoma's faced a test in the way that Texas has Texas already taken that punch. They've already 
try to figure out who they are and put it up against the test against a team like, like Arkansas, I think Texas can be physical. I think they can run the ball. The big question is, can they ever hit those downfield passes? Can they hit? And I know there's articles written this week about it. That's a big part of Sark's game. Can you have those explosive downfield plays? And they haven't really connected on those yet. Be that to Xavier Worthy or whoever down the field. Maybe this is the game where that finally breaks out. I kind of, I'm going to take Texas in a close game, less than a touchdown. Okay. And, and the spread is uh, Oklahoma minus three and a half. So uh, it's, it, Vegas sees it being close and they're usually pretty good at their jobs. So um, I, I, I'm not going to reveal my prediction yet because we do a big article at the end of the week where I, we do our predictions and, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there, but I don't think you're entirely off base. I will say that a uh, little, little tease for later in the week, but <laughs> okay. So, so going forward and we'll, we'll do, uh, we'll do one more Texas thing. I'll get your kind of national perspective on college football here in a second. And then we'll close out with a little Cowboys because I know you're dying to talk some Cowboys. Um, <laughs> where do you see Texas going for the rest of the season, win or lose at Oklahoma? Um, we, we know that's a kind of a fulcrum point for, for Texas over the years, but uh, how do you see the season going just based on the rest of the big 12 and, and going ahead? Well, here's what's interesting about you making the transition to the Cowboys in a minute. The, the Longhorns and Cowboys have actually been somewhat comparable to each other over the years. Not mirror images, but, but similar in that both had more talent on the field than what it added up to in their win-loss record. Both at times looked pretty soft, and both you could never trust to win games you were supposed to win. And that could be changing as we speak for both of those teams. It looks like it is changing for both of those teams in that if I look at the big 12, I'm tempted to say, okay, you've got Oklahoma and then you got Oklahoma state. If you can handle those two tests then you're in the big 12 championship game, but Baylor is better than we thought they were going to be. Um, and then, you know, I, I, this is gonna be as easy as I think that I want it to be. If you get past the test of Oklahoma, the difference though, is that this year, and I think this applies to the Cowboys as well as Longhorns, they are winning those tough, gritty games in the past you would have lost. That TCU game is a perfect example. That was the type of win that Texas just didn't get, you know, under Tom Herman. And, and look, I liked Herman in a lot of ways. You were talking about his recruiting. He did a pretty decent job of bringing in players. I think that your, your analysis was right when you said the difference is getting in SEC-style players with, with Sarkeesian. But, but one thing we can say for sure with Herman is that they just lost those close games. And they lost those games against teams that they probably should have beaten. And so I think if we can survive the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State run here, then I think Texas is in the Big 12 championship game. Not going to be easy. We still got to show we're still the team that beats the Baylors of the world when we, when we have to. But I think Texas ends up in the Big 12 championship game this year. And it could be a rematch. Especially if I'm predicting them beat OU. If they beat OU, it could be. Exactly. Yeah, and that, that would always be interesting. That's uh, that's happened once before, and uh, Texas ended up losing that one. But that, that was still a great game. Um, okay, so let's transition to kind of a national perspective real quick. Um, how are you feeling about this season so far? What are, your, what are the things you've been watching? What are the things you're seeing? I mean, obviously, Alabama and Georgia are – seem to be well above everybody else. It's kind of nice to see Clemson get knocked down to the dirt a little bit for, for one season, at least. 
so we better enjoy that while we have it. But, you know, h- how are you seeing the season going? What are, you, what are your vibes for the, for the college football season? Well, so here's what I think. Right now we're dominated by two conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. And I guess you could say, well, that's nothing new. But it's Georgia, Alabama, it's Iowa, and it's Penn State. And the Big Ten has not yet begun to beat itself up yet. Iowa, Penn State play this weekend. And then, of course, Ohio State looms out there. But I think that um, we can safely say some some Big Ten team is going to be in the college football playoff. But that being said, Georgia and Alabama look to be head and shoulders above everybody else. But if the Big Ten begins to beat itself up, who else gets into the playoffs becomes a really fascinating question. Um, Cincinnati is sitting there ready to, you know, future Big 12 member Cincinnati is ready to jump into the to a spot. Um is the big 12 is Oklahoma or, and I know this is going to be like, Oh my God, what a ridiculous Homer. But if Texas does run the table, if they do beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma state and start stacking up W's, I'm just saying there is an opening. I think what's we're going to, we're going to see a new college football playoff where at least one team is a surprise team, maybe two. And I say maybe two, because I guess we're going to see how the season plays out for Ohio state. If they put themselves back into the conversation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I want to, I want to touch on that because I totally agree. I don't think you're off base with that. If Texas runs the table, I mean, they've got, that means they've got wins over Oklahoma, Iowa state, Baylor, Oklahoma state, uh, Kansas state, who's been pretty good. And those are all good wins. And if they win in the big 12 championship against another one of those teams, I mean, that's as good of a resume as anybody for a number four seed or a number three seed. And yep. the, the big 10, I mean, Iowa probably has the best avenue because they don't have to play the same schedule that Penn State does. Like they have, they have Penn State, and then they have, um, or and that's that's pretty much it as far as the Big Ten powers go. I think I'm not looking at their schedule right now. I could be wrong, but I, I believe that's right. And then you know, Penn State starts by Michigan, Ohio State, um, and they've got Iowa, and they've got you know, it, it the Big Ten is tough. We'll put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of wiggle room there. So if one of those teams gets knocked off, um, a big 12 team has every chance of getting into the, into the, uh, into the college football playoff. And you have to think that the winner of Texas OU has the inside track for that, at least. I think so. Maybe we're discounting Oregon a little bit because they just lost, but if Oregon continues, if they don't lose again, and they're not going to rack up many more impressive victories, but they'll still have that Ohio state, um, that was Ohio State at the beginning of the season, right? That's that's their yeah. victory. Yeah. So they'll still have that on their resume. I don't think we can say Oregon is out of it just yet. Neither is Ohio State if they can rack up victories against Penn State and Michigan. But but I do think there's going to be some more chaos there where the winner of the Big 12 is going to have a very good chance, and perhaps Cincinnati as well, of getting in there. Yeah, and it, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Obviously, um, you know, this is this is I know Georgia and Alabama still look unbeatable and I'm sure one of them is or both of them are going to play in the national championship once again. But it feels like it's more wide open than it, than, than it has been in years past. And part of that's probably because Clemson's down in the dumps a little bit. Right. Um, and it's only a matter of time before they come back. We all know that. But all right. So we'll close out with this. Um, the Cowboys are. You know, we, we, we were a little worried when they, when they had that uh, that opening loss. I mean, I know they played well against Tampa Bay, who's defending Super Bowl champs and all that, but um, you still wanted to get that that W, and 
there was a lot of reactions that, you know, hey, Cowboys, just another Cowboys team, blah, blah, blah. But since then, they have looked very good. Um, it hasn't always been perfect, but they have won, and that's what counts. Um, what are what are your feelings on the Cowboys so far? I mean, I I I know you're Dangerously. a big Dak, that that <laughs> Prescott guy and, and all that, but uh, what are your feelings on them so far? Dangerously confident. Dangerously confident. Um, <laughs> uh, just like I said with the Longhorns, they're winning the games that in the past they would have lost. Uh, that Carolina game, you know, uh, after the first half. You're like, oh, gosh, is this the same kind of thing? But, you know, the Cowboys, this is the – okay, I'm a huge Dak guy. You're right. I think Dak is one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. I think Dak is well on his way to being a top – like we're going to – within the year, this season, we're going to start acknowledging the fact that there's maybe one or two, three quarterbacks you would take ahead of Dak Prescott. I, I truly believe – that's where he is on his command of the offense, command of the team. I'm not talking about fantasy football stats, which he can do that as well as he showed in the first game of the season, but that's not what football is about. And in a lot of ways, Matt, fantasy football has totally perverted what we believe is a good football team or a good football player. You know, like I saw somebody saying like CD lamb is, is a great, great wide receiver. He's not having a great fantasy football season right now. And that doesn't make him a disappointment. Wait, CD lamb is going to, you know, obviously impact the Cowboys wins and losses this year in a dramatic, dramatic fashion. So, but anyway, I, I, I think they have the quarterback. I think that they went into the season and the question was, could your defense be below average? If your defense is just below average, the Cowboys win the NFC East and they're a playoff team. And what we're seeing is the defense has been better than below average. Uh, obviously this rookie class, Micah Parsons, Oso Odigizua, Chauncey Golston and then Trayvon Diggs in his sophomore year. That's totally trans along with Dan Quinn totally transformed this defense, not to a top defense in the league, but a, de a defense that can be competent enough and opportunistic enough that this unstoppable offense is going to win you games. And this offense, it's amazing. I mean, they're going to beat you four or five different ways. If you're soft on the run, guess what? You get a heavy dose of Zeke and Tony Pollard. If your linebackers are weak, guess what? Dalton Schultz is going to, and, and maybe even Blake Jarwin are going to beat you. If your secondary is bad, we've got Cooper and Lamb and apparently Cedric Wilson, who are all really good. It's, it's just where, pick your poison on the offense. And the offense, and this is the last component. And this is the most controversial, I guess. The Cowboys are well coached. You know, I've had my questions about Mike McCarthy, but this is a well coached team. They're winning right now, missing seven starters, seven. And in the past, and I heard a local sports radio station talking about this, and it's totally true. If we lost one player in the Jason Garrett era, even if it were a guard, we'd be like, well, we're, we're compromised in a way we just can't overcome. If we lost a tackle, we were absolutely smoked. And now we see Terrence Steele stepping up just as good as Lyle Collins. We have guys all across the defensive line, Tank Lawrence missing and we're not just winning. The defense is contributing to the wins. This team is prepared. It's prepared for things that go bad. It's prepared for guys to, you know, get injured and new guys to step up. This team, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and I don't think Mike McCarthy is one of the best coaches in the league, but we got to give him credit. This team is winning in ways that the Jason Garrett era got us used to losing. And so I'm dangerously confident about the Cowboys right now. Yeah, and then and then the last thing on the Cowboys here before before I let you get out of here and, and get on with your day, uh, I appreciate you being on so long with us. But um, 
Cowboys cut Jalen Smith last night. How do you feel about that? Mixed. Okay, Jalen, I'm like everybody else. I'm on social media and I see, you know, Jalen hasn't been great. He's been, how about this? Jalen has been better than we all in the fan base think. We think he's been terrible, but he hasn't been very good. That doesn't mean he's been very good. Um, I was a little surprised that it happened right now. Why in October? There's a good team chemistry. Things are rolling. I think I hear that Jalen is popular in the locker room. So why mess with that? The reason they did it from everything I've gathered is because I don't want to pay a guaranteed salary next year should he get injured. Jalen's time on this team was, was short with Micah and Keanu Neal and Jabril Cox. They have the depth at linebacker. They LVE forever, how much longer he's still on the team. They, they don't need Jalen on the field. But I'm mixed also because I just – I always rooted for Jalen as a person. I, I, I loved his story of overcoming that horrific injury. I just, I loved his comeback. So, you know, it's probably the right team thing for the team. Probably the timing's a little suspect, but I hate it for the man in Jalen Smith. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I was a big fan of Jalen Smith in that, in that sense as well, but uh, you know, he'll, he'll get out, he'll get out there and find a new opportunity. He, he is a talented guy. Maybe there's a better scheme fit for him or, or something out there, but uh, I'll always be cheering for him as, as his career goes on. But, uh, Will, it's been a blast. Uh, love having you on the podcast. Uh, we're going to have you on our Mavs podcast here soon, I hope. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time talking some horns, talking to the Cowboys, talking some college football. Um, but before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you. You'll find me on Fox and Friends on Fox News on the weekend, 6 to 10 Eastern. But I would really appreciate it. I'd love it if you'd come hang out with me on the Will Kane podcast. Uh, this week, this week, you can go there and I have an hour long conversation with Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic. You know, he's he's become somewhat well known for his independent stances, both on standing for the national anthem, but also on his choice of whether or not to become vaccinated. And he explains it to me over an hour. He's a really, Matt, he's a really, really impressive guy. And he's a really good player as well, which the Magic are counting on to be part of their foundation. But I was, I was very grateful. He gave me an hour to really dive into his thoughts. But every week we talk about sports, we talk about politics, we break it down on the Will Kane podcast. I'd love it if you joined me there. All right, and that's going to do it for another episode of the Longhorns Country Podcast. Uh, we will be back very soon. We have a couple of uh, former Texas players coming on. I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, we're also welcoming in a, uh, an OU beat writer to talk some Sooners up, uh, on Thursday, I believe. So uh, it's going to be a fun week. Um, we're, uh, we're up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's going to do it, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.